Okay, so welcome to another episode of the TAM Intelligence Podcast. Um, I think this is going to be an interesting one. Um, succession planning is the topic we're talking about today, and it's something honestly comes up in so many of the conversations we have with our clients and with prospective clients, particularly in those kind of engineering and manufacturing sectors where the topic of a skill shortage has been, you know, it feels like it's been topical forever. Right? So um, our guest today is Courtney Abraham, currently CHRO at Current Lighting, um, but with a really interesting background, um, started off, you know, from a business perspective, moved into HR, has experience at companies like Adeco, GE, and as I say now, CHRO at Current. So, Courtney, welcome. Um, I've kind of introduced you for for everybody, but if um, there's anything you want to add, or tell everyone a bit about yourself before we dive in. Thanks, Dave, and thanks for having me. I think um, I am the product of working with great people and great mentors and them seeing something in me that I didn't necessarily see yet. And so just the opportunities to work in different fields and meander my way through my career has led me to a job I love. And while as a CHRO, it is um, every day is an opportunity, but also a challenge. I never stop learning and I'm just thrilled to share any insight that I've learned over the years to help others. Yeah, love it. Well, the first question we always ask everybody is kind of, I think we've all got an, an odd or an amusing or just a plain strange experience from either being interviewed or conducting an interview. Um, and we always like to get, just to kick us off, um, a bit of bit of a story from our guests. So um, you mentioned you had a bit of a DC plan. So uh, yeah, let's dive straight into that then. <laughs> oh my goodness. So I take such pride, right, in my craft and in what I do. I get to work with people. And I was in an interview process. So I was the interviewee. And this is probably, gosh, maybe 12-ish years ago in my career. And I made it through kind of the interview team and the business leaders. And my very last interview was with the CEO. And um, in the course of the conversation, lovely individual, uh, but he says to me, uh, within the first four minutes of conversation, so I, and I was interviewing for an SVP of talent management, right? To own the whole thing. So just context setting. He says to me, so listen, I really don't believe in this talent management thing. Wow. <laughs> and I thought, oh, oh, right? Right away he said that. And it kind of threw me back on my heels and the consultant in me came out because I wanted to dive into what that experience <laughs> yeah. right? <laughs> and really explore that. But I thought, if I take this job, I know I've got um, a huge hurdle in order to jump through, in order to help him believe, help him value. Um, and the other side of me said, well, if I take this job, will I ever be successful, right? So it was such an interesting statement uh, the individual made, and I'm happy to report I did take the job and I did get him to the other side so that he saw a real value in, actually it impacts your bottom line. It impacts your balance statement. Doing right by people and having a thorough plan, everything we're about to talk about today yeah. um, is why we, why we um, focus on the craft and why he as a CEO should have said, oh my gosh, this is the most important thing in the world. Right? Not, I don't believe in this thing. So, yeah, it threw wow. me. Totally. <laughs> I can imagine. <laughs> Do you think it was a, a sort of bit of a, you know, there was truth in it, but it was also a bit of a deliberate tactic to kind of knock you off your feet a little bit first? I um, I wish it had been a tactic, but no, <laughs> experience, it was truly what he thought. Yeah. Wow. 
Yes. I mean, there's something of the honesty to it, but um, yeah, that's that's not what you want to hear when uh, the job. No, not in an interview right? <laughs> I was mad, right? Eyes wide open. You like to know what you're walking into, and so eyes wide open. I knew. I was going to have to use every consulting skill and every proof point, right, to show yeah. the value and the execution of an action and how it translated into business speak and into his PL, right? Why yeah. it made him more successful. That's it. Yeah. yeah. No, no. Love it. So, like you say, it moves us on neatly um, yeah. to our sort of topic for the day. And I've got my questions in front of me to keep us on track because I don't know about you, but I want for a tangent. So they're more there for me than you, I think. Good. We'll but, keep um, each other on track. We'll see. <laughs> So let's let's go into for the first question. We talked about this when we when we first discussed um, the episode. But for you, why do you feel it's so important to have that process in place when it comes to talent management for one, but mainly um, retention mm. generally? But specifically for our topic today, the idea of succession planning. You know, people will leave. Retention is great, but you can't hold on to everybody forever. So. We talk a lot about this in recruitment circles, you know, retention and recruitment, the two sides of the same coin is, is something we hear about a lot. So um, from your perspective, why is having a process in place so key there? You know, actions more than words kind of kind of thing, I suppose. Oh, gosh, um, hugely important. And I am a bit of a process geek, right? So <laughs> I think it's, it's essential to a, a variety of factors. Um, depending on where we are in our organizations, we have, you know, the tail end of people's careers and they're retiring and leaving. And so let me just start there. Um, we're in manufacturing, right? So we have engineers and we have individuals, product, product managers and product marketing who have come through their specialty and they're now at the tail end of their career where they're looking to leave. And depending on what's happened in the last, you know, 10 years, have we been able to hire and have we side by side developed individuals in order to not have a huge gap and create continuity of business? Um, and so we're constantly, you know, that the idea of workforce planning equally important, but these folks are now saying in droves, hey, I would like to stay six more months or in 12 months, I'm going to retire. And it's the tribal knowledge that we're losing. So it's not just the ability to execute a set of activities. It's also how that product come about. How did we used to do it? What happened with that supplier? Why does it not work the way that we intended? All of that learning and that knowledge is so critical and important. And if we don't have a process in place to side by side build talent so that we can create that continuity and not create big mistakes. Um, I think that's the piece from from a retiree perspective. We owe it to our organizations because we can plan for it, right? So when we know there's an exit date, we as individuals, we have to side by side. And sometimes it means investing. It means bringing somebody into the organization or allowing somebody to stretch for a period of time. And maybe that's an addition comp and bend that you weren't planning on from a budget perspective but it is very, very important and it's planful. And so we need to take the investment. The other piece is not so planful, right? And so succession planning, it seems to be an activity. We all go through it, right? From an HR uh, talent management perspective, but it needs to go beyond the process or the, the exercise, if you will. So by and large, I think we all follow a similar process. Um, this year, I will say I did something slightly differently. Um, in years past, we've done a formal talent reveal 
where we have gone through and we've talked about everybody, right? Where are they in their career? What are their strengths? What are their opportunities? How do we develop them in order to grow into next level roles or lateral positions? And to, to use that rock wall analogy, today's day and age, you don't go hierarchically anymore. You crisscross based on season of life, desire, business um, need. And so the idea is um, we switched it and we started with succession planning. I said, okay, so let's not actually start with talent review. Let's start with people in role, right? Who's next up? If they were to win the lottery tomorrow, what would we do? And if they said sayonara, oh my gosh, what's the replacement plan? What is the immediate keep the lights on and what would you do? Which lends into beautiful conversations of, hey, I think I'd split my organization. Well, why would you split your organization? And let's start talking about those people. So when you get into that level of detail, it's then, all right, maybe we're a little bit more planful and um, two years from now, who might be ready? And then who are some of your emerging people that might be ready in the future? And then brass tacks, what do we do, right? So in order to be planful and to get those um, kind of emerging leaders ready, what's that development set of activities? And what do we need to plan for so that we continue to invest in them, we groom them, and they're ready for that next level job? It may not be that exact role that we have in place, but it shows to the person that we are investing in their career, we care about them. It shows to the business that we want great business continuity and we don't want any disruptions in service. And it's really the so what. I, I say this all the time, it has to go beyond the exercise to be actionable. And if we only put it on paper, eh, it's a great process, HR check the box. But if we don't ready people, we're actually just revisiting last year's succession plan and saying, well, who left, right? And so who can we cross off the list? Uh, that whole collecting data versus actually yes. actioning what it's telling you, that's, that's a huge thing. I mean, that brings up so many questions. Um, <laughs> so. Firstly, then, I think um, that the process part, like you say, is important. There's there's a couple of, I suppose, areas we can delve into in a bit more detail, but to take them one at a time, do you feel, if we're talking about the retirement kind of subject or people, you know, progressing towards the latter stage of their careers, there's been such a focus in recent years across the manufacturing sector about bringing in new skills, you know, the digital transformation piece, the kind of making it, you know, a 21st century employer rather than, you know, seen sometimes right. a little bit of an archaic industry, uh, at least in terms of practice. Um, yes. Do you feel that's slightly detracted from the succession planning conversation and actually the conversation about retaining the skills that are there already that are really important versus bringing in the new skills that the sector needed? Uh, it's an excellent question, Dave. I think it's a combination thereof, right? So our world, yes, manufacturing doesn't change overnight, but it is changing. And um, our ability to expose our leaders to new, new skill sets, new practices, new ways of thinking is really important. So we owe, we owe our people that opportunity for that exposure. Um, sometimes you will find individuals who actually self-select out, right? They're not yeah. interested in skill building and learning new. They've been super successful, you know, executing against what they brought to the table. And so it's scary 
to kind of do that pivot and to step into an area where actually you're learning fresh from the ground and you don't know if you'll be successful. Um, so I think helping people um, on that path is really important. Uh, and knowing as an organization, when do you need to pivot? When is the point at which um, you can invest and you can take the time to skill build? And when do you need to insert fresh thinking or a different person so that you can bring them along together or do a replacement, right? And I think as an organization, it just depends on where you're at and the time that you have in order to really invest in 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 one or the other. Yeah, and time is such a thing, isn't it? I mean, we talk about manufacturing very generally, and I am generalizing, but it has traditionally been a sector of, of lower turnover than, yes. than others. So the number of manufacturing or engineering companies who have you know, people with 20 years, 30 years of the same business is so much higher than it is elsewhere. And I think the industry is having to learn on its feet very, very quickly to deal with the fact that that just doesn't happen anymore, or at least it's becoming less common. Um, yes. So on the subject of succession planning internally, because we talked, you know, when we had our first chat about kind of high potential or high performers being those, those kind of people you expect to maybe want to move on in their career, whether they do that internally or externally. To talk about a, an example, quite often we might see a senior position come to us as a recruitment company and it's been open for six months. You go, why? Or we've got someone, you know, interim in the position. Uh, who was on the team already you go okay is everything going great go, yeah why am i getting the job yeah and people are used to being asked those questions i suppose with you know there's there's that thing you see all over linkedin all the time of you know if someone left six months ago and the team's still running perfectly you need to promote rather than right. hire from from externally so how do you manage that internally you know you talk about career goals and is it about aligning kind of business plans with individual career goals or how, how do you actually do that in practice? I don't know that there's a right answer or <laughs> answer. if someone has the right answer, I'd love to know. I think, <coughs> excuse me, I think a couple of different things. What we try to coach our managers on is every time you have a vacancy, it's an opportunity for a redesign, right? Don't immediately go to refill that position as a replacement, like a one-to-one -one replacement. Look within the team because arguably there are strengths and there are great capabilities in the team that you can flex and you can redesign, you know, maybe give them a little bit of an exposure of a different product set. Or um, if they're a sustaining engineer, can they work on different items to, to really allow creativity and um, perhaps a little bit of interest and exposure for that person because they get to learn something new while also exercising their strengths. So my first piece is, is, even though it's easy to put an interim kind of in charge, look across the team to figure out what's the redesign and what's possible so that you can take advantage of the skills that have been growing and you might not be aware of, right? Because sometimes people are yeah. blocked and you just don't see their capabilities. The other piece of, of doing putting somebody in interim and doing the search, I would say, and we all do this, right? We're all guilty of this. Let's make sure that we don't set the person up to fail, right? So when <laughs> yes. we put them in that interim role, do they know it's interim or do they think this is a temporary job and maybe I can win it? 
So uh, allowing that transparency of here's the three things you don't have and why we're searching outside or listen, we don't know enough about you. So you do have an opportunity to win this um, opportunity. Mm -hmm. I think we as organizations, we owe it to our people for that level of transparency. Yeah. The other piece is, you know, maybe it's a budgeting game. So maybe they leave the, the role open for a period of time um, because for whatever reason, they just have to play the budgeting game. And so therefore they allow an interim leader, they hold off on the big salary, they're stretching people. There's a downside to that um, because oftentimes organizations, we don't put the stipend on the interim leader. And I think we owe it to those people because we're asking them to do more. We're asking them to step into a role that they didn't do previously. And I don't know, did we ask them to take their current job with them, right? And bring it with them. <laughs> yeah. I think we need to appropriately reward. And from a stipend perspective, I think everybody understands what a stipend is, but you get it and then you take it away, right? So it's for an interim amount of time to reward and incent the individual for that, that interim time that they're um, kind of in that position. Yeah. The other side, I think, is is more maybe more challenging. Do we know enough about the people that we put in the roles, right? And so, we may be reticent to take a risk. I would argue that as organizations, we're so much better off investing in our own people. They know our they know our business. They know our culture. They know the people. Um, they have a leg up on anybody that comes from the outside. An outsider's got to spend that first 90 days, no matter what role you're in, you got to spend that first 90 days learning everything. And you're looking for quick wins, and it's harder to come from the outside. Um, so I'm a big proponent of let's look within our organizations, let's set them up appropriately, let's pay them appropriately, transparency, and then if something changes along the way, which it always does, again, just revisit those conversations. Um, and is it the opportunity for the person to win the role permanently? Or is it, hey, we actually now, based on you being in the role for 90 days, thank you, you're doing a fantastic job keeping the lights on, let's use the appropriate language, um, but here's what we need in the person that we're searching for. Yeah, uh, transparency is, I think, important. And I wonder if anyone's done any research on this, but I do wonder if, you know, if there's an internal candidate or two up for a position that's gone externally, but who are keeping the lights on, as you say, for the meantime, yeah. come up against four external candidates, one of which gets the role. Yes. How long does the internal candidate stick around after that? It's you know, How valued or undervalued do they feel? I, I, I don't know. Um, and I'm sure it's one of those where case by case scenario, but I wonder if there's any, any data on that. Because it would be interesting I'm to sure there's people tons of data. move on. Yeah. Well, and Dave, I've been in this position myself, right? We're on the external coming in and there have been internals that have raised their hand and they wanted the opportunity. Um, and I'm really, it's worked out positively in one instance and not so great in another instance um, where uh, the person stayed for probably nine months. And I was so thankful that they stayed because of their knowledge, because of their continuity. They allowed me to onboard and get my feet wet. And then they said, hey, I wanted your job. And so I'm going to look externally, but eyes yeah. wide open. I'll give you plenty of time to search for a replacement. Fabulous. Um, on the other side, uh, I have individuals who I'm, who I've worked with previously where I'm the outside. They come in and they're like, 
they just look at you like, hmm, what do you have that I don't have? And it's it's about building a relationship and leveraging the heck out of their strengths. Um, we are only successful, as successful as the team around us, and there's so much success to go around, right? And so it's taking and propping people up so that they have a platform to execute and be autonomous and to leverage their strengths and offer great capabilities um, within the business. And at the same time as a senior leader or any leader, regardless of your level, it's how do you leverage the combined capabilities of the team? Um, some people are really good at you know, organizational discipline and execution. Other people are really good at the creative and the communication. And so building that team to, to leverage each other and to shore each other up so that you really are comprehensive and you have a better offering and a better capability across the team, I think is really important. But yes, if yeah. you find stats, I'll be really curious. I'm going to have a look because I'm intrigued. <laughs> but I mean, I think it's a wider thing there that, you know, the idea of filling your team with a variety of, of skill sets as opposed to duplicates. Yes. You know, it's a great way of building diversity as well, but that's a whole other topic. Um, so let's go back to kind of the retention side of things a little bit now, um, drawing myself back to my list of questions. Um, we talk about um, high performers, and these are likely the people or high potential um, people as well that, that are going to be gunning for that role when you know the director, the VP resigns. Um, whether they are 100% ready for it, whether they know they're not quite yet, they're, they're going to want to understand, how, okay, how do I do that? So how do you assess for that, that risk? Um, and this is something you brought up when we first spoke, the idea that you know these situations are going to arise, so you need to be able to plan ahead. So assessing for that risk seems like quite a transient, difficult to pin down thing. <laughs> so how, how do you recommend people go about that? Well, and it's interesting. What I'd say is, depending on the role, there's certain experiences and competencies that are the, are the must-haves for the role, <laughs> right? And then you figure out tier two, what's the nice to have, but they can learn it on the job. Or there's enough team members that surround them that make up for that deficit. So I think being really crisp and clear on what that criteria and experiences look like is, is essential. Um, and then being consistent, right? So a lot of times candidates come across the table that are unique from others that they're put up against. And we may gravitate, or some may gravitate towards those individuals because they're different, but why? Do you go back to the same set of criteria, right? So what is it that may be the possibility, but what if your bet is wrong, right? And you go for something that's off script and you get it wrong, you're putting the business at risk. So I think being really crisp and clear, coming back to, you know, what are you grading against? How do you calibrate? How do you ensure that really clear communication? Because it's not only, you know, internal, the talent review of what are their strengths and how do we help them get even better? It's also knowing um, at, at any given time, how do we make sure that we have alignment to that? And if there's one individual who has a dissenting um, opinion, it's gonna be based in fact. So what is the examples and is it more than just anecdotal? It can't be a one or a two time thing. It's got to be a repetitive set of behaviors that gets in the way. And then we have to figure out 
would that prevent the person from actually being successful in the role? Is it coachable? Is it trainable? Is it something they can post a note to head and remind themselves never to do again? Or is it hardwiring and it's going to impact their success? Yeah, Because yeah. nobody wants to walk into a role and not be successful. Like, that's lousy. And, and us as individuals and as corporations, we owe it to our people to set them up really, really well. We want them to, su to succeed. We need them to succeed. So it's incumbent on us to do our homework. Yeah, that's really interesting because, I mean, whether it's hiring internally, promoting internally or hiring externally, we here internally are huge advocates of a scorecard. So mm -hmm. if you are yes. building a job spec, for example, you know, let's build it in reality and actually look at yes. the nice to have, the must have, you know, what's a bonus. And all of that works just the same when you are building a talent plan or, you know, understanding who's who's next on the list for, you know, moving up that step. Because if you don't know what that is, everything's done on go. And uh, we all and make Dave, mistakes. Absolutely. <laughs> right? So take that job spec that experiences what we're looking for and then have the leader go one step further. How are you going to hold them accountable? What are the goals that they need to deliver? And yeah. the, the skills and the experiences actually line up. Because if there's a bunch of influencing and they don't have direct authority, how are you going to tease out those skills and in what roles have they actually demonstrated those competencies before? So I think the goals are equally as important when you're building that spec. Yeah, I 100% agree. So, I mean, when it comes to succession planning, then it feels like you, you're advocating as much transparency as possible. Yes. You know, an understanding, let's just say we're talking about an engineering team, you know, they've got their engineering manager above them. They'll know internally if that person is, how do we phrase this nicely? Getting on a bit. Um, <laughs> so they will almost, some of the maybe more senior members of the team, ones with longer tenure, are they already thinking these things? And if the business is already is talking about them as well, you know, that alignment then becomes easier to, to find. Yes. You know, it's interesting. The pros and cons are transparency. So this is the one thing I don't know that you or I said out loud. Do you want to know that you're a successor? Right? Yeah. Right? So it's like, it's a wonderful opportunity to know that you have, you're seen as valued to the organization. You have tremendous output that furthers goals and, and bottom line results. If you're slated to be a successor and you know, and then you don't get the job, it's really demotivating, right? And and disenfranchised to such a point what you said earlier, maybe now your resume is on the street and you know somebody's working with you to find their next opportunity. <laughs> I think we we as employers, we can't promise positions, right? We don't know what's gonna happen and businesses change, right? And they evolve over time. I think it is important to know you know, why we value people and what um, opportunities and experiences we believe that they should be exposed to, to enrich their career so they have more opportunities. Um, and I think I think it's it's a delicate dance and a delicate yeah. balance, um, but we never want to demotivate or disenfranchise somebody. So. <laughs> yeah, that, that's a really good question. Um, and it's, like you say, it's a tricky balance, but I suppose it's the difference between actively telling someone, by the way, we're like, up for this versus making sure the whole team feels that the, sense, yeah. the strengths they have that align to what the business needs, I suppose, because they're never going to be 100% match our 
are being sort of catered for, let's say. Um, that's really interesting. And I suppose the other side of that is the chances are those same people are probably already being approached by people like us. <laughs> so as a business, you, you've also got to be aware of that, that, okay, yes, you don't necessarily want to say to someone, you are who we see as a successor to, to this director, this VP. But by the way, if we know you're really good, then other people do as well. Correct. Yes. Well, and I think this is, this is always the, as an internal, um, you want to, you want to provide accolades and praise of your people. And then we talk about social media and we, we all do this, right? Do we actually share those praises on social media? So the rest of the world actually knows how good you are, <laughs> right? Because then recruiters yeah. like, oh, wow, this person gets a lot of, let's look back through the history. We still do it, but it is then all about the culture and the continuity and why this is the best place for the individual to, to yeah. stay and to grow their career. And so you've got to have really good leadership. Um, you have to have pieces that tie from a cultural artifact perspective, tie the individual to the team. They've got to love their team. They've got to love their job in order to not take your phone call. <laughs> yeah. You make it sound yeah. so straightforward. <laughs> oh, it is. I wish, I wish there was a magic formula for that. Um, cause everybody's an individual, right? A human being and we're all yeah. different. So how we're motivated in every, any given moment, a little bit different. <laughs> Definitely. So one final question before we, we tie things off then, and this may be something that is almost impossible to answer, but a lot of this is, has, it's easier and harder depending on the size of your organization. Yes. So if you are a hundred people company. It's harder because you have less resource, but it's easier because you probably know your people better. As you grow and in the businesses that, that you've been part of, Courtney, that, that have thousands, if not tens of thousands of people, that connection becomes much more difficult. So are there triggers? Are there things that you can look out for that are more sort of, sort of I don't know, process or tech-based almost that in a larger organization where you don't have that personal connection to the thousands engineers you've got on your shop floor. Um, how does that work in a company of that size? So what I will say is what works as a small organization, you just have to figure out how to scale. So the, the, the benefit is small, to your point, you know your people really, really well, um, but there's a finite number of people to move into roles. When you're larger, you have to really build process so that you have line of sight to, hey, there are 10 individuals in that business unit who have these transferable skills. And you have to have that connection internally so that anytime there's a vacancy or anytime there's a planned organizational change, you can look within your company first before you pivot to the outside. And that takes rigor. And that is hard if you don't have some sort of tool or platform in order to share across the HR teams or the business teams and exposure points. Um, so we as, we as companies, we have to do a better job of exposing talent cross business and cross function so that it's not, um, hey, you should meet John over in XYZ. Actually, no, you've met John because he presented something at some cross functional X and you're like, oh, wait, wait, was that the guy who talked about 
and there's a little bit of exposure mm -hmm. already. So it takes some of the fear away. But I think that rigor from a scale perspective, we all could do better jobs of to ensure that we can hire from within before we pivot to the outside. Yeah, no, no, makes sense. Then you get the whole idea of kind of internal competition. Don't what if that business unit doesn't want you to take their best people? Well, that's that's a subject for another day. Um, <laughs> it should be a compliment to that business leader that we want their people. <laughs> oh, absolutely. But then they've got to replace them, so they uh, might steal someone back from you. That's the thing. Yeah. <laughs> but that's it. It's it's complementary. That's that's it. And I think if you've got the processes, if you've got the consistency, then what sounds quite challenging and quite hard to pin down becomes that little bit easier. You know, so everything you've said makes complete sense. Um, we like to finish things off with something maybe a little bit more um, nostalgic, let's say, by asking all of our guests, let's go back however many years. I, I won't try to guess. Um, <laughs> I'd say if you were starting out again, and especially interesting for someone like yourself, Connie, who's shifted functions, you know, several times, um, what two or three pieces of advice would you give yourself at that kind of point of beginning your career? These could be huge bits of life advice, or it could just be little things that actually you think about years later and go, ah, I should have done it that way. Yeah. That, oh, such a good question. Giving myself <laughs> It's horrible, isn't it? Because it just starts oh. making you think and go, oh, why didn't I do it that way? <laughs> you know what? I tell others, right? And I wish someone had told me this. Um, there is so much success to go around, right? Um, and you just have to figure out what that looks like. So to be part of a team or to work on a project and not be the lead, um, but to carve out your piece and to demonstrate strengths and to have a win, um, you don't necessarily have to own it, but just to be part of it allows you to gain that experience and demonstrate that success. And so. I think I wish someone had told me that earlier because I, I, I think in my career, I thought, well, you have to own it. You got to own the process or you have to be in a position where you're the decision maker. And that's not true at all. Um, and so that's the first piece of advice, I would say. Lots of success to go around. The second is climb the rock wall and go sideways and gain those experiences. The jobs that we're gonna have 20 years from now are not, right, what we have today. You know, I don't know, 40% of them will be different. So mm -hmm. to have experiences and, and competencies that you're building in different environments and in different types of roles make you so, so, so powerful. Um, and you can leverage that objectivity of, hey, you know, I was running this particular project and these were the confines and this was the team. And it was so different from being in a different industry or a different side of the business where I was still running projects, but in a completely different vertical or with completely different suppliers and customers. I would say absolutely zigzag and take those experiences um, they're fun, right? Because you get to reinvent yourself a little bit, but you also, yeah. from a career perspective, um, it's what a wonderful resume and what a wonderful set of experiences to set you up to do more than just one job. And I think that's the second piece of advice. And I'm going to keep it just to those two. <laughs> no, I think that second one in particular is, is great. I mean, we're seeing people spending less time in roles. It's becoming more acceptable. 
you know, people want to worry this hiring managers about what they used to call job hopping. So take advantage of that because, you know, yeah. the hiring managers of the future aren't really going to worry about it as much as, as people seem well, to. Dave, I'm, I'm curious, what is the now um, average time somebody spends in a role? Ooh, good question. I did some research on this last year and it has gone from five to ten years to as little as two and a half to three. Um, okay. It depends where you look, varies by industry, varies by geography. Um, okay. You know, the manufacturing sector is still slightly longer, um, but actually the younger people get, the shorter it gets. Um, and that's, I'm starting to go off on one now, I'm, I'm wary of this, but it's... Sorry, it's, I asked the question. <laughs> It's sort of subtly starting to become less of a negative. You know, yes. the people are spending that little bit less time with the same company as they did, you know, even 10 years ago. Um, and that is a huge thing, I suppose, for, for succession planning, because you need to hire someone in the knowledge that they're not going to be there in 10 years. Right. If they are, you've got very, very lucky. Yes, um, that's exactly so, right. See, I even related it back to the topic before I there you go, completely off on a tangent. <laughs> <laughs> it's like a proper host. <laughs> but no, listen, Gordon, really thank you for your time. It's been really interesting. And this is something that comes up. You know, we, we are a recruitment business, so we talk about hiring people all the time. But, you know, hiring from within and promoting, and we see retention as the other side of the same coin as recruitment, as I said before. So they are so linked. A company with a strong retention and succession plan, you know, in place is also going to hire the best people externally when they need to do that. So everything you've said, I'm sure people are going to get a huge value from. Um, so yeah, if anyone does want to ask you more questions, they, were, they should be reaching you. Are you quite happy for all those things to come I'm through LinkedIn? I'm happy to do me a favor though, when you contact me on LinkedIn, tell me because you saw Dave and I, or heard Dave and I, then yes. I'll have context. <laughs> and you'll get all of those really personalized sales emails now. Um, <laughs> but uh, thank you for your time. Um, have, a, have a good rest of your day and, uh, and yeah, we'll, uh, We'll hear from you again soon, I'm sure. Okay, outstanding. Thanks, Dave, for the opportunity. Thanks. Bye-bye.